This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We've been doing a series called, I started last week, called You've Got Help, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we're grateful tonight. We're grateful that we have an opportunity to come into a nice place and to worship you. And Father, just to, to sit in nice seats. And Father, just to, we're blessed here. And we thank you for that. We're grateful for all that you've done. Thankful that we, most every one of us came under our own power. Thank you for life and strength and breath. And Lord, tonight we ask you for your, for your grace and mercy that you would speak through me clearly and accurately and that we could receive and hear that our hearts are open, that our hearts are prepared because we want to know more about you that we might continue to bear fruit, that we might be fresh and flourishing in everything we do. I'll give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. In our recap of last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit may be one of the least understood subjects in the Bible and one of the least, explain, least explained. Some, some groups completely ignore his existence. Some, some groups overemphasize his existence. We want to find out what the scriptures say. And, uh, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead and deserves our respect. Peter had some profound words in Acts. In the book of Acts, you, you see a lot of mentions of the Holy Spirit. And so in the early church, you see his involvement. And Peter said this, and, and the, but hang on, hang on a second. Let, let me just backstory on this. I can't assume everyone picked it up. Uh, in the Bible, fifth chapter of Acts, there's a story of a, a, a couple, a husband and wife couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And Ananias and Sapphira had some land. They sold it. And they were doing what, what was then the church trend was to bring the money and they would give it. And in fact, at the early church had all things common and they, they, they pooled all their resources together. And, and so Ananias and Sapphira, they brought some of it, but they, they held back some of it. Like if they sold it for 500,000, they, they told the, the, the disciples that they sold it for 300 and they kept 200 back. And so it's interesting how evidently that didn't sit too well with Peter. And in Acts 5, thank you, Carrie, if you go ahead and put that up. Acts 5, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? <clears throat> why it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. So he said, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And he said, you've lied to God. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so oftentimes people repeat that. But when Peter was speaking, he said, you've, you've actually lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he said, God. He's equating the two. And so as we, as we look at the Holy Spirit, and, and some people I, I've heard kind of mocked him. You don't want to do that. It, you, you do not want to mock the third person of the Godhead. Just not a good idea. And so even if you don't understand some things, sometimes it's best just to say, you know, I really don't understand a lot as opposed to being mocking. And so the Holy Spirit is to be revered and respected. He was present in the beginning. Genesis 1-1 said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-2 said, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. 
And so he was there in the beginning. He was there in creation. Learning about the Holy Spirit helps us understand how he helps and clears up misconceptions. So I, I hope for, for some of you, maybe you've been, you've been raised uh, in, in certain backgrounds. We have people here at the Ark from all different kinds of backgrounds. I mean, when I, when I have show of hands, we have people from Catholic background. How many of you have come from a Catholic background? Baptist background. Oh, look at all the Baptists. <laughs> Some of y'all sitting up close, too. That's good. <laughs> Methodists. We got Methodists. Okay, Methodists. Lutherans. Lutherans are not showing up. Where are you? All right, Lutherans. There we go. There we go. Presbyterians. Say, heathen. How many of you had a heathen background? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. So we come from all different kinds of backgrounds and there's all different kinds of teaching that got involved with that. Now, here's, as we start tonight, I, I want to show you uh, how we approach biblical topics determines to what extent we receive help and insight. How we approach it. If you, know, if you immediately cross your arms and go, I don't believe any of that your chances of getting insight are pretty limited. And, and let, me give you, let me give you an example of that from the Bible. We're going to read a passage of a people who rejected Jesus. Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 51 through 56. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now, if, if you can understand that this is Jesus they're talking about. And the Samaritans were a group of, they, they lived uh, adjoining to, to Israel. They were a group of a lot of um, Jewish mixes. They're like me. <laughs> half Jewish, half Gentile. And they had big running debates with the, with the Jews about whether or not you should worship in Jerusalem or you could worship there. And so the Samaritans and the Jews did not like each other at all. I mean, they were constantly in conflict. That's why when Jesus told the parable of the good Samaritan, it rocked their world because the Jewish people had no regard for the Samaritans. And so there was not a, a this was a, a real rift between them. And so the Samaritans had a tradition that if you were facing Jerusalem, if you were a Jewish person walking through so their village, and you happen to be facing in the direction of Jerusalem, they would turn their back on you. They would reject you. Now, if you were facing the other direction, they would receive you. Is that stupid or what? <laughs> but if, if, you, if you think about it, if you ever stop and examine it, some of our traditions are stupid. And this one was a stupid one. So here comes Jesus he, and he's getting ready. He realizes his time is about to come. So you know what's on his mind. He's thinking, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm about to die there. So he, he's thinking about that. And he, he goes through this town and, and they reject him. 
And it made the disciples mad. Just made them mad. Jesus, so they had a great idea. Jesus, let's call down fire and burn this whole village up. In your name, Lord, we can do this. And you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting that Jesus, the only people Jesus rebuked were the disciples. He didn't rebuke that group of Samaritans. He didn't stop and go, you know, guys, I got a lot on my mind and I cannot believe that you, you folks are going to turn your back on me. It's unbelievable. Y'all are a sorry bunch of Samaritans. He didn't say anything to them. He did not rebuke them. He did not punish them. And neither did he stay with them. He just kept going. That tells us something. The Lord isn't going to force anybody to do anything. People say, ah, man, the Lord made me do that. The Lord didn't make you do anything. You just got smart enough to do it on your own and gave him credit. But he doesn't make us do something. He didn't make this people receive him. He just, he just went on to another village. He didn't stay. He kept moving. So here's a group of Samaritans that did not receive Jesus. Now let's read about another group that did. John, the fourth chapter, said many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. Now you read that and you think, okay, well, that's crazy. No, no. Do you realize how big this was? This was the, the famous story of the woman at the well. I mean, do you, most of you, I, you remember that story? Jesus sitting by a well, lady comes to draw water, comes late. She's the only one there. The disciples have gone into Chick-fil-A to grab something to eat. It wasn't a Sunday. And, and Jesus sitting there at the well, they're going to, and he said to the lady, he said, can you give me a drink of water? She said, she said, why are you asking me a drink? He said, because she realized Jews and Samaritans don't have dealings with one another. In fact, they wouldn't drink out of the same cup. And that was the lady that Jesus said, hey, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask him, he'd give you some living water. And this lady got a bright idea. She said, Lord, give me the water so I don't have to come draw again. She's thinking economy. I never want to draw water again. This will be great. And he said, go call your husband. Come here. She said, I don't have a husband. She said, you're right. You've had five. And the one you're living with now is not your husband. Which is an interesting take on marriage. Living together doesn't mean married. <laughs> now, here's the deal. Jesus didn't say, and you're going straight to hell because of it. <laughs> and when she said, I don't have a husband, he said, no, you, you, you got that right. And, and yet, because he told her that, she ran into the city and told him, said, there's a man here that told me everything I ever did. So all these people came out to see Jesus, all the Samaritans. They listened to this one lady. Isn't it interesting that here was a lady who was living with a guy that was an evangelist that went in there and got a bunch of people to, to come out and hear Jesus. Listen, guys, I, I want you to hear me on this. When we ever talk about not living together, when we talk about getting married, we don't get brownie points in heaven for getting people married. What we're trying to do is we want to get you into the middle of God's blessings for your relationship 
for your life. That's it. We're not, I don't have a vendetta. I've married, I marry a lot of people. I do a lot of times on Friday afternoons. I can do express weddings. Less than 10 minutes. In and out. And they're really blessed too. And no one's ever complained. No one's like, oh no, pastor, we want the one hour version. No one's ever asked for the one hour version. Everybody wants the short version. But here's the deal. Some of the most blessed marriages I've done are from couples who decided we want to make this right with God and I married them. They they got their kids standing right there. Some of the most touching marriages I've ever done. Some of the marriages I have sensed the Spirit of God present more than any other ones are couples who come and said, I just want to make this right with God. And we get them married for free. So I thought you preachers charge for everything. I don't. (laughs) Try me for free. And the deal is, we're glad to do it. We're glad to do it. We're not angry. We're not mad. Jesus wasn't mad at this little lady. She goes into town, brings all the people out there. You know what they asked Jesus to do? Lord, would you please stay? Samaritans, would you please stay? And then they said something very powerful. They said, now we believe not because of what you said, but we have heard him ourselves. Guys, right there is powerful. Base your beliefs not just on what I say. Not just on on what you heard some favorite preacher say or what your Aunt Ethel says. Base your belief on what the scriptures say, that you can hear him for yourself. You say, I've found this from the scriptures. This is, I've heard it for myself. And And then they said, and now we know that this is the Christ, the Savior of the world. These Samaritans had a revelation that hardly anybody else had. They saw him as the savior. They saw him as the Messiah, the savior of the world. The, the Jewish people, most of them completely missed it. But these Samaritans, the ones who shouldn't have got it, they got it because they were open to it. Do you see the difference? One group says his face is going toward Jerusalem. And the other group said, whoa, who? We're listening to yours. Whoa. You're the Christ. You're the Savior. What am I saying is, listen, it's not up to God what we receive. It's up to us. If our hearts are open, man, I'll tell you, God can show amazing things. Have you ever just gotten a real, maybe hit a spot in life where you're like, man, I, I need God. I'm hungry for God. And people start popping up all over the place, helping you, speaking into your life, bringing books by, doing things. How many of you know when you get hungry, God shows up? And so here these Samaritans were, they were just thrilled. They're like, wow. He stayed with them two days. They asked him and he stayed. The first group rejected him and he left. Jesus does not force anyone to do anything. It's up to us. Does that make sense? And so as as we talk about this, talk about the Holy Spirit, I realize I'll probably go I'll go cross-grain to some of what you have been taught. Here's the thing. Look it out in the scriptures for yourself. We've got a saying around here. Don't get mad. Get scripture. And that's the easiest way to handle it. Let's look at real quickly at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament we talked about last week was active in creation. He was active in creation. And, and by the way, this helps us understand how the creation story could be written. Moses was the one that wrote the book of Genesis. Now, he spent a long time with, with, the, with the Lord on a mountain. 
in the presence of God. But Moses was the one, but the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's there. How many know if you're there, you can remember it? Oh, by the way, he has perfect recall. And so he was able to, to recall this. Here's the second thing. And the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, he was the empowering force behind the Old Testament heroes. Now, I think this is something we need to, we need to look at because you can, we can read stories of people like David, and I'm going to give you three, David, Gideon, and who's my last one? Samson. David, Gideon, and Samson. And we can read them, and these, these are Old Testament heroes, did amazing things. But let's find out what happened before they begin to do amazing things. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Then Samuel, the prophet Samuel, took the horn of oil and anointed him, that's David, in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But you catch that? Remember when the story is that, that Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's house. Jesse was a, a man in Bethlehem. And he had eight sons. And he said, bring your sons out. Because the Lord said, one of these is the king. And so he saw the first one, thought he was the king. The Lord said, no. He went down through the whole group. Finally, David came. And the Lord said, that's him. And Samuel anointed him with oil, poured oil on his head. But it also said that the spirit of the Lord came on David from that day. Now, if we believe the Holy Spirit is not some weak, timid, little, little puff of smoke, if we believe the Holy Spirit's powerful, that's the third person of the Godhead, then it makes sense how David as a teenager could face down someone the size of Goliath. And what that does is that helps me because it's so easy to look at David and go, I'd have never done that. If that had been me out there and Goliath had stepped up, I'd have said, no, time. Time out, Sparky. I'm, I'm going to head back here See if I can find, conjure up a, a 45 or something because there is no way I'm taking you on as big as you are. But if you understand that David was empowered by the Holy Spirit, then he took on Goliath. Then that puts it in a different category. See, then it's not a category of, wow, these are superheroes. Wow, wouldn't it have been great to live back in those days and begin to realize, no, no, they're not superheroes. These are men and women who did believe God, who trusted God, and God empowered them to do amazing things. So it's not the men that are amazing, it's God who is amazing, and he, they were empowered by his spirit. Here's the second one, Gideon. You heard me, you've heard me, if you've been here on, on Wednesdays, you've heard me teach, I usually teach on Gideon, one of the most beautiful examples of a guy with low self-esteem who makes a huge adjustment. When the angel appears to him and says, you're a mighty man of valor, Gideon, Gideon argued with him. Uh, no, I'm not. And God's forsaken us. And Gideon, one of the whiniest heroes in the Old Testament. <laughs> this guy's got, he's just so whiny. Oh my, you know, he's the one go, oh my God. Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And he's forsaken us and, it's, and we've been trying our hardest and it's just horrible. And the angel just ignored him and said, Go in this might of yours. We're like, might of what? <laughs> but Gideon was the one we said, the Lord spoke to him and said, I want you to tear down that altar that's in your dad's backyard, right next to the gazebo. I want you to tear it down and, uh, and build an altar to the Lord and sacrifice this bull. The Bible said that Gideon took 10 of his servants and he did it at night because he was afraid of all the people in the city. He did it at night. 
And when I woke up in the morning, they smelled barbecue. They're like, what is that? They're like, whoa, there's a brisket cooking right over here on, the, on, this, on this altar. They said, who did this? Who tore down the altar of Baal and used it as the wood, mesquite wood? Who used it as the wood? And they said, it was Gideon. So they went and knocked on Gideon's door. Where's Gideon? Tore down the altar of Baal, burned up the, the, the ox. There's an ox there barbecuing now. Where's Gideon? Gideon didn't even go to the door. He sent his dad. Can you imagine Gideon's back there going, I'm not here. I'm not here. You, you, you go, you go. So his dad stepped out there and said, well, you know, Baal's the God. Let Baal fight for himself. So Gideon, whiny and kind of cowardly. But look what happens. Judges 6. Then all the Midianites and the Malachites and the people of the east gathered together and they crossed over and he camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew a trumpet and the Abizarites gathered behind him. So there's, a, there's an army gathering against him and the guy who couldn't even face his neighbors is now blowing a trumpet and gathering all the people saying, we're going to go fight. <laughs> How do you go from chicken to leader. Here's, here's how, but the spirit of the Lord came upon him. You see that? Sometimes, sometimes we look at these people, we look at them completely in the natural instead of realizing these people were empowered by the spirit of God. This is why you, you hear Paul talk about things like, don't make a big deal over me. He had to write, he write the Corinthian church. He's like, don't make a big deal over me. Don't make a big deal. They were all divided up. I'm of, I'm of Paul. I'm of Peter. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Jesus. So they had a big, just like running battles within there. And, and Paul said, who is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to each one. I watered, he, uh, I, I planted, Apollos watered. It's God that gave the increase. Paul was often quick to go, it's not me. It's the Lord. Amen. And if we understand that, then when we look at these Old Testament heroes, we don't go, man, these, were, these guys are so awesome and I'm not. No, let's don't put them in that category. These guys were empowered by the Spirit of God to do exactly what God called them to do. Amen. Now here's the last one. This is maybe the most visible one. Samson. Samson, the mighty one. That's the one when Holly, everyone... Whenever Hollywood does Samson, they always use guys who were much bigger than me. <laughs> well, let's look over here. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, which sounds kind of gross, but uh, although he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he tore the lion apart. You a bad hombre if you're tearing a lion apart. <laughs> but it wasn't that he was such a, a big bad guy because if you, if you read the whole story, the Philistines kept trying to send women. Delilah, remember they paid Delilah, find out why he's so strong. If you're six, eight and weigh 300 pounds and got like 5% body fat and you're all jacked, no one wonders why you're strong. <laughs> if you're 5'10", 180, they're all looking at you going, why is he so strong? He must have looked pretty average. Yeah. 
Come on, guys. <laughs> just, just work with me just for a second here. If you're 6'8 and huge, and, and you look like J.J. Watt. Does anyone wonder, why is J.J. Watt so strong? No. <laughs> the guy's a beast. He's a monster. You look at him and go, well, yeah, I guess. If you're my size, no one goes when I walk in any place. Why is he so strong? No one, <laughs> no one asked that question. Now, if I rip the bar apart, then everyone goes, whoa, what's up with him? The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he was able to do that. It's not because Samson was so strong. It's because Samson had the Holy Spirit on him who enabled him to do it. Because if you read the rest of the story, remember when Delilah finally, finally got him to tell her the secret, remember his hair, he'd always grown his hair long. It signified his commitment to the Lord. He was a Nazarite. And he, when, when they cut his hair, his relationship with the Lord was over. And the Bible said that the spirit of the Lord departed from him. And when the spirit of the Lord departed from him, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And they took him and bound him and plucked his eyes out. Before then, every time the Philistines would come upon him, he'd rise up, bust, bust all the ropes, look like a kung fu movie, just tear everybody up. And, and they're thinking, how in the world can he do this? How can he do this? How can he do this? Because the spirit of the Lord came upon you. So Alan, why are you going into that? Because here's the deal. The Holy Spirit then is the same Holy Spirit now. And he hasn't lost any power. It's not like he's like, whoop, power got pulled. Nope, he's still powerful. And he still can be powerful in our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, we're grateful tonight that we have an opportunity to learn of you. We're grateful for the opportunity to know about your spirit and what marvelous capacity that we as individuals, believers have because we are indwelt and empowered by him. Thank you for that. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you came this evening and said, Alan, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I know that, but I, or, or I'm not sure and I want to be sure. Or maybe you're here and you're like I was. I was raised in church. I, I, I really turned away from God. And in my heart, I knew I had, I had wandered a long way away, but I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to come back. And if that's you tonight, we're going to say a prayer. We're not going to ask you to stand up, come to the front, but this is a prayer that can absolutely change not just your life, it can change your eternity. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you and you say, Alan, I would like for you to pray for me, would you do that? Just slip your hand up across the auditorium. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. 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 This side in the middle. Yeah. Anybody else? Thank you. Great. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. If you didn't lift your hand and think that you missed your chance, you did. We're going to pray this out loud. We're going to join you. I'm going to ask the whole church family just to join in. Pray it out loud so you can hear yourself pray. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. And I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now. I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. 
Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Heads are still bowed, eyes are closed. Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer. Father, for those who have stepped out of darkness into light and for those who've come back home. Father, thank you. You're rejoicing. Heaven's rejoicing. And so are we. Thank you. It's a good day. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.